0: So I think asking students to use what they know to write dialogues and work collaboratively, because one of the pieces of theater is is that, and it's one, I think one of the biggest pieces that I miss with Zoom is a sense of shared presence, physically and collaboration. It's hard. It's harder to collaborate in this virtual format. So asking students to write dialogues together, I think is a way to start. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This
1: week on Speaking of Language. Yin Andrew McDonald discusses his background in bilingual theater and how that informs his approach to language teaching and student support. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language, I'm Sam Lupowitz, the Media Manager of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University.
2: And I'm Angelica Kramer, the LRC's Director. Today we are joined by Ian Andrew McDonald, who is currently a visiting lecturer in French at Bowdoin College in Maine.
1: Dr. McDonald specializes in the study of French and Francophone theater and performance.
2: Welcome to Speaking of Language, Andy.
1: Thank you, Angelica. Thank you, Sam.
2: So before we dive into all things French theater language performance, please share with us a little bit more about your background and your path with languages.
0: Mm. So I'm, uh, I'm a product of the uh, Canadian official, official bilingualism mm. uh, yep. policy that started in the late 1960s and really got going in the 1970s. Yep. I grew up in the province of New Brunswick, Canada, in the city of Fredericton, which is the capital city, and New Brunswick is the only officially bilingual province in Canada, and so uh, as part of my education, French was part of... The trip to the grocery store is mm-hmm. on all the products in the grocery store. There were a couple French TV channels when we got cable. The French is on the radio, French is on the street signs. So French is everywhere, but my family is entirely Anglophone. Huh. And I started taking French as a little kid in third grade and then just continued with it. And also, French is on Sesame Street. So Sesame Street, any, <laughs> any portions of Sesame Street in sure. the United States that are in Spanish or in French in Canada. Yeah. So it was very much part of my environment. When I teach French in the United States, it's housed in departments that are often framing it as a foreign language. And mm. my growing up experience in Canada was always that it was the other language. There was yeah. some otherness associated with it, but it wasn't foreign. It was definitely part of the landscape And part of the world around me, including kids in my neighborhood whose families were francophone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just kept studying it all the way through high school and thinking and this is perhaps one of the bigger ironies of my, my professional life, is that in my head, I was thinking, well, I need to keep learning French to be a good Canadian to get a good job in Canada. Hmm. And the irony has been that I've ended up becoming a French teacher in the United States and not <laughs> remaining in Canada to use my very developed French. Yeah. Um, so it's very much part of part of the political and cultural landscape of Canada that formed me. Like, There's no reason in my family history that that should have happened. Yeah. But because I was growing up in a province at the time where the push towards bilingualism was high, I ended up becoming very bilingual by the time I was in high school and then just kept working on it all Mm. the way through college, master's and Ph.D.
2: Yeah, that's great. So where did the interest in francophone theater come from?
0: Mm. Um, That started in college. I went to a small liberal arts college in New Brunswick, Canada, called Mount Allison University in a small town called Sackville. It's right on the border of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. And Mount Allison has a really well-known French theatre program. It's a a French theatre company called tent run by a professor who's now a professor and emeritus named Alex Fancy. And in my second year at Mount Allison... I ended up in a class with Professor Fancy on using French in oral context, like Mm -hmm. using French for speaking. So really, the class was called l'expressivité. And Uh so it was for using French really in conversational settings, learning French phonetics so you could really get the sounds right. And then he also got us doing theater if we wanted to there, the so ran separate. You never got a course credit for it. Huh. It was just outside of class and it yeah. was completely independent of the classroom uh, in terms of getting credit for it. But it very much as as a learning experience. It became this parallel track that I did through the rest of my undergrad. Huh. And it would, I think what's important about Tentamau is that it's a bilingual theater troupe. It's not just French. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how important that bilingual ethos was until I left Mount Allison and left New Brunswick and left Tentemar to go work in other places and just see how thinking in two languages and making room for both cultures and both languages was just part of what we did so that there would be people on that troop who were just starting to learn French and were native Anglophones and some kids who were coming from Quebec who were native Francophones who had good enough French to, and we, we would come together. And so we were meeting across this language huh. divide that uh-huh. is, has created been a big part of Canadian history. Sure. And this troop was really a way for a lot of us to come together and, you know, support each other and learn the language of the other and, yeah. and create and have fun. And I, I, Fell in love with French through doing theater that that mm-hmm. I had been studying it since I was a kid, and it was useful, but I didn't give my all to it until we until we started doing plays. And, and a hallmark of Tentermail's work is that they do a fall show that is a collective creation. So Professor Fancy would come in with a theme of some kind that we would improvise around Uh in English and French. And then a show is created out of that material that we then stage together. And the shows are always functioning in both languages. And uh, the opportunity to create and play and improvise theatrically with a whole group of other students in both languages. So you could use as much French as you wanted and use as much English as you wanted, and it kind of all comes out in the wash. And then in, this, in the second semester, so in the spring semester, we would do a f- play from the, the repertoire. You know, it could be Moliere, it could be jean Anouille, it could be Samuel Beckett. No. And uh, those plays often, an example would be there was a play uh, by Jean Anouy called La Louette, The Lark, which is about Joan of Arc. And it has a lot of British characters in it. It's written in French originally, but what we hmm. did is our version, we translated all the British characters' parts into English <laughs> so that you have the French characters speaking yeah. French and the English characters speaking cool. English. Yeah. And then some of the characters could be bilingual go-betweens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that bilingual ethos really folded itself into a lot of a lot of the different performances that we did there, so that okay. shaped that shaped my trajectory from there. That's where it started. Mm-hmm. It's become a lot of other things since then
2: great, yeah,
1: very cool. well, so uh I first met you or became aware of you um because my when my brother was an undergrad, he took classes with you at Dickinson College. Um, And I remember first seeing you, uh, I believe it was the end of his senior year there. The two of you collaborated on a a theater piece that was all in French about the study abroad experience and cultural immersion. Uh, And I remember being fascinated by that. And I'm wondering how typical that sort of process, that kind of method of assessment is for you, um, mm-hmm. you know, working with, with student creativity and, and what you can tell me about that in, mm-hmm. as far as your pedagogy.
0: I, w- I from a pedagogical point of view, I wish, I wish it was more common than, than, um, than it is. It's, you need sort of particular circumstances in, in needs of a curriculum of a department, for example, to show up, to make room for a theater project to happen. Yeah. And the case of, of the work that I did at Dickinson College on students coming back from abroad was set up in the context of a couple of classes that I did there uh, in theater at, at an advanced level. And I w- became very interested and still am really interested in how theater and performance can can be used for communities to address any number of issues. I've done work as well as as a musician with playback theater, which is a form of improvisational theater where a host will get stories from the audience, and then a troupe of performers who are on the stage will play back the stories that are given to Mm -hmm. the host by a member of the audience. And that can often be used to reflect back to a community the stories of their community. Mm -hmm. And what I was really interested in at Dickinson College in particular was seeing many students coming back from abroad having studied for a year or a semester and seeing that they were really being plunged back into their life on campus without much time to reflect on their experience that they just had there's often a pretty significant cultural, emotional, linguistic, academic experience, um, and in a very emotional experience, a very moving, very challenging time, and they're just expected to get back in the regular American flow of things and not address it. And so Sam, your brother became part of uh, an, oh, uh, a, an individual and independent study project that was a version of work that I had done as a classroom, as a class project. The year, a year or two before your brother was a student of mine. And so it was something I became interested in as a tool for helping students play with and create around their learning experience so that they get to not just have their study abroad experience, but then reflect on what it means, reflect on what they're going to keep, reflect on what they learned, so that that reflection becomes an additional piece of, of the learning. And, and linguistically as well, it gives the student an opportunity to create I haven't gotten a whole lot of opportunities to use that lately. I have a couple contexts in which I've done things that are similar. I've had students write um, short plays or stories about, um, about life experiences. And um, more recently at Bowdoin College, anyway, I, I, give, I give students the option of doing a creative final project or a scholarly final project so they have a choice. And so I've had students do do writing projects that reflect a more a personal approach, and I think um, particularly if we're not tr- all, training all of our students to go off and become masters and PhD level scholars in in literature, yeah. a creative project might be a good way to integrate their learning in a in a more lasting way, in a way that has resonance for them mm-hmm. that, that that's going to stick with them, because the the level when I have had students do creative projects for me, the level of personal investment Mm -hmm. is much higher than just a paper for a final credit.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I can, I can second that from my experiences. When you let students be creative, it's, it's amazing what they can come up with. Mm -hmm. Are there elements of your more theater oriented classes that inform your pedagogy when you teach a quote unquote traditional language class?
0: I think there, there are in that, um, I, I think of I think of being in the classroom as uh, as a space where where performance is always part of it. You're mm-hmm. you're playing a role and sure. you are becoming somebody else, whether you like it or not. If you're in a beginning language class, you're learning dialogue, you're repeating it and you're practicing it, and you're definitely not yourself. You know, the, <laughs> those a, those beginning language point, classes, yeah. <laughs> it's such an alienating experience for a beginning language student because who they think they are at, you know, 18, 20, yeah. and I have I have older language learners too who I work with, that, you know, all, all of your life experience that you have and all the smart things you know how to say go out the window when you're in a beginning language class, yeah. and you can only say, you know, Je m'appelle Andy, or j'ai quinze ans, ou je suis canadien. You can only say a couple things, but you need to learn your lines, and you need to be able to say them with conviction, <laughs> and and accept that you're not going to be yourself. You're going to get to be somebody else, and that I think accepting it as a role is maybe a, 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 an easier way to deal with it. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go be somebody else for an hour or three days a week. Yeah. Um, the I and I think also for me a, a thing that I do value from theater that I also bring to the, the beginning language classes and, and intermediate language classes too is the importance of of speech, the orality of it, the importance of speaking, of getting your mouth around words and okay. actually working with. Phonetics, I I love the International Phonetic Alphabet for that. Mm -hmm. I love writing out the sounds of French for students because I think the biggest challenge of French as a language for many students is the profound gulf between how words are written and which sounds are generated by which letter combinations. And so theater is just a lovely way, and and even just repeating phrases is a lovely way to get your mouth around it And, Mm -hmm. and developing new new kind of neuromuscular habits Uh because they're so challenging. There are sounds, there are vowels you have to make that don't exist. There are consonants that you don't have to make in English, you have to make in French. And theater, rehearsal, practice, that approach to it helps the act of speaking become easier.
2: Yep.
1: Perfect. Well, so to, to sort of follow up on that, um, we've talked a lot over the last year and a half with language instructors about the way they adapted to virtual learning during the first chunk of the pandemic. Uh, and I'm wondering for you, with sort of a, a very interactive process and a, a theatrically motivated process, if... if um, adapting was different for you than some of your colleagues or um, if it, if it influenced your teaching in any unique ways relative hmm. to some of the others. I
0: think the, the uh, and I love the fact that we're doing this on zoom too, because it's kind of, you know, you're asking the question and we're doing <laughs> the thing itself.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've become very used to it. I, I think that the, for me, the leap from, Screen as performance and, you know, stage as performance, classroom and performance is not a huge leap for me personally. Mm-hmm. I think my students may show up on Zoom with, with different attitudes to it. But I know that the, the persona that I use to kind of sell a class on Zoom, which I think is important. I think that you, I think Zoom, I work hard on Zoom, but I have to stay inside my box. I can't, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in here. Something that uh, on the podcast you won't be able to see this, but something that I've worked with because I have done some performance workshops in English, but with both as a facilitator and as a participant, uh, working with Zoom. And one of the things with Zoom is that we forget that when we're sitting here in our chairs with our cameras, that we have a space behind us, and so that we have we have distance and we have depth. And there are times when theater and performance is a spatial activity and trying to remind people that actually this little rectangle has depth and has sure. space that I like, I like being able to play with that with zoom. And that's become one of my assets. I think one of the things I'm experiencing right now at Bowdoin college is that we, we are teaching, we're teaching with, with masks in the classroom and so okay. um, it's really hard. It's hard to speak a foreign language when you've got a mask on, um, particularly when you're trying to learn what you're supposed to do with your mouth. Uh, so I realized that when I go back in the classroom wearing my mask, I've got my body back. And so I can navigate in the room mm. and kind of work with, with physical bodily expression to kind of engage the students. But my face is gone. And when I'm on Zoom, you can't have... My body engaged. I'm, I'm basically a torso, maybe some arms and hands occasionally, <laughs> but I'm a face. And I think working Zoom has been a place where I've emphasized one on one conversation, I've emphasized uh-huh. little dialogues, I've emphasized, I think the connection between written language and how it sounds has become stronger for me on Zoom. Like I'll tend to put up a document. Along with what I'm writing, and I'll, I'll I'll be writing as I'm as I'm listening to students, and they can see words. So trying to shore up that connection between what you're seeing, what you're seeing, and what you're hearing, has been part of Zoom. I think from the th- sort of theatrical side of it, for me, it's mostly um, it's the enthusiasm of being being in the camera, of being here and being being pre- being a presence. Mm-hmm. How can we approximate presence through through this thing. And as, as language teachers, I think that presence, you know, listening, speaking, paying attention to each other is, is one of the most valuable things we can give the students because they're learning to communicate. And I think above all being able to communicate is being able to be present and pay attention yep. to what's going on right now. Yep. And, and on Zoom, how we do that, how present can we get is, is it's the daily struggle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> indeed, indeed. So what advice would you give to instructors who are interested in incorporating target language theater into their curriculum? Mm. Like, where can I, they start if they don't have much experience yeah. themselves?
0: I think it's keep it keep it simple. Keep it simple. Is that the first the first place theater is is a little is a back and forth conversation. and you can write them. I think asking students to write dialogues is a really great great way to get into that. First, mm-hmm. I have some very memorable experiences from my time <laughs> in French class in middle school where we had to write dialogues in class, and they got ridiculous. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure the teacher was sometimes horrified, but we were very engaged in what we were doing because we were given pretty large creative free reign to do that. So I think asking students to use what they know to write dialogues and work collaboratively because one of the pieces of theater is that is that, and it's one I think one of the biggest pieces that I miss with Zoom is a sense of shared presence physically and collaboration. It's hard. It's harder to collaborate in this virtual format. So asking students to write dialogues together, I think, is a way to start. If you're wanting texts, I think it's very particular from from language to language which texts you think are appropriate. Sometimes the places that I actually find the most um, effective things to read if students want a dialogue is actually adapting dialogue out out of prose texts like short stories or novels, sometimes short exchanges. Just recently in a senior seminar I'm teaching at Voden, where te- I taught a long novel, but there's one scene where there's a, a really wonderful two-page conversation that happens. And we mm-hmm. divided the class up, where I had you know, where I had one one two two readers for the two parts, and then another student reading narration. And it was just lovely to have a dialogue, even out of a novel, read back and forth as a little play because you've got a sense of like oh that's what's going on that's what the tension is here so i don't think student or teachers who want to use theater have to be limited to just finding dramatic texts i think you can find texts where there are other dialogues and use them or have students create their own Mm -hmm. which is super easy Mm -hmm. and they can be they can be easy And it's okay to have easy dialogues. And and in some ways that gives, I think when you give students the opportunity to take an easy dialogue and practice it and then do it. And one of the pieces that zoom gives us is that people can record things and play them back and submit a video as a, as a, as an assignment that, that the students get to practice and then do it. And they get that sense Mm -hmm. of perfection. And that's, there's something in the repetition of getting the student to practice the language so they get it right. They're going to feel greater ownership of it, and they're mm-hmm. going to feel more confident about it.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Terrific. Well, um, this has been a great chat. Before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak, love, or are learning. What mm-hmm. is that favorite word?
0: Um, I'll say my, my favorite word in French is the word libellule. Libellule <laughs> means dragonfly. And it has, what I love about it, to say it, is that it has all, all those L's. There's a B in there, but it's a lot of L's. Libellule. And it has an E, an A, and an U. And that U, Ule. Libellule. It's, as, as, a, as an Anglophone, for me, it, it, feel, it feels very strange in my mouth. It feels um, beautiful because that Ul uh-huh. I don't have U in English. The L has a softer, the L has a softer quality in French. So, libellule. There you go, libellule, dragonfly.
2: I love it. That's a yeah. good one in English, too.
0: Yeah, libellule. <laughs> it's a good one.
2: Well, Andy, thanks so much for speaking of language with us today.
0: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
1: Next week, we have Ken Roberts and Soledad Chango on our podcast.
2: They will speak with us about the new Quechua program at Cornell.
1: Until
0: then,
2: Auf Wiederhören.
0: The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web
1: at lrc.cornell.edu. Or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz.
1: Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.
2: Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University.
1: As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell
2: University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.